0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you this morning. And if you're a guest today, uh, just uh, glad you're here. And we uh, are grateful that you chose to be with, uh, this, uh, be with us here this morning. And we're excited to have you. You know, uh, I hope that you guys had a great weekend. We challenged all of you over the last few weeks to just do something this last weekend to uh, love and serve your neighbor as a life house. And so I know some of you did things yesterday. Some of you might have things planned today or in the days to come. And so I just encourage you to be thinking of ways to love and serve your neighbor this weekend as a life house, along with many, many others. You know, earlier, Mikael acknowledged and prayed for those who served in our military, especially uh, those who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I just want to echo those sentiments. You know, on this Memorial weekend, uh, we're so grateful for those who are serving, for those who have served, and for those who've given the ultimate price. Uh, It's just a constant reminder for us that freedom is not free. I also want to acknowledge another special group of people that may be in the room. It might be a little of a stretch uh, at 815 service, but uh, if you are a 2014 high school or college graduate, would you stand for a moment? Do we have any in the room this morning? Any? Oh, okay, got one there, a couple over there. So why don't you give them a hand? Congratulations. As I start off this morning, I just want to uh, pray, and I want to pray for you too. So uh, would you pray with me again? Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can gather. God, you've given us a new day. You've given us a day that we can live new. And so, Lord, we continue to pray for the families who are mourning the loss of those um, that have uh, given the ultimate price for freedom. And God, I thank you for uh, the folks here in this room that stood up because they've graduated high school or college, Lord. And we just pray that you bless them as they move into the next chapter of their life. And God, as uh, they'll encounter uh, people that will be hostile to their faith, as they encounter challenges uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, Lord God, financially, Lord, would you be with them? And would you put your hand of blessing upon them? And so we're so grateful uh, that they've closed one chapter, and we ask for your hand of blessing upon them as they enter into another. And we ask that in Jesus' name, and all of us said together, amen. They are the three most powerful words that any human can speak to another human. They're absolutely pregnant with meaning. And once delivered, they change everything. Collectively, these words harness great emotion, power, vulnerability, value, and worth. And once spoken and once heard, you can't go back. For they broadcast the secret of the heart. And if reciprocated, they communicate the greatest connections possible between two humans. If denied, they can imprison you into an abyss of painful loneliness and rejection. What are the three words? I love you. There's another three words that are actually more superior They actually even carry more weight. And once spoken, (laughs) the meaning, the worth, the purpose, and the value are insurmountable. And they are beyond any other words. Once heard, translated, and understood, they change everything. For they broadcast the beginning of the beginning. You have no choice but to either receive and believe them or to deny and reject them. There's no middle ground. And whatever you choose to do with these words will determine the course of your life. What are these three words? Bereshith, bara Elohim. You might not recognize the three words in the Hebrew language, but you will recognize the five English words that translate them. In the beginning, God created. These are extremely significant, vital, informative, defining and difficult words to hear and embrace. Your entire life is impacted by them. The answers to your deepest questions, the fulfillment of your greatest longings, the ultimate source of hope in your life all depend on whether or not you believe these words. They answer the questions, who am I? Why am I here? How will I live my life? See, before you know who you are, you've got to know whose you are, Because it changes everything. And it all starts in Genesis 1:1. And I invite you to join me there right now. It's a very easy verse to find because it's in the first book of the Bible. And it's the first verse. Told some friends this week, and I said, what are you planning on teaching on? I said, oh, just Genesis 1-1. That's all. (laughs) And find yourselves in the Bible in Genesis 1-1. I just want you to take a second, and I want you just to stare at those first words in that first verse for a second. Just take them in. Just let the weight and significance of them linger with your spirit for a minute. Now, I'm going to invite you to read them together out loud with me. Are you ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, even louder. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Today, we are launching into a 20-week study in the book of Genesis. Uh, The book of Genesis has intrigued people for centuries, it's a theological history book that captures our beginning. You know, I once heard another pastor say, "In many ways, Genesis itself is a tree of life upon which the rest of the biblical fruit hang." <laughs> Cuz it's the on-ramp to everything else we know about the Lord. The title of the book Genesis means beginnings. We get the translation Genesis from the Greek word or origins. It's very appropriate. So God, through divine inspiration, had Genesis authored by none other than the historical man Moses himself, somewhere between 1440 to 1400 B.C. Now the thing about Genesis is that Genesis is not a standalone book. It's the first of five books that are woven together. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these books are woven together. They're known as the Pentateuch, which when translated means the five scrolls. And the Jewish, it's the Jewish law known as the Torah. And for many years, this is the only Bible that the people of Israel had were these five books. And these books are sequential, and one picks up where the other leaves off, and they continue through. You know, Israel would have first heard Genesis, somewhere after the Exodus out of Egypt, and yet before they crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan. This is when they would have heard Genesis for the first time. And it was given to them at a crucial time in their history because it was going to help them remember where they came from, who they are, and whose they are. The same is true for us today. Our tour through Genesis will help us know our physical and spiritual roots. As we go through Genesis in the next 20 weeks, it'll give us uh, incredible insights and examples regarding relationships, things to do, things not to do, (laughs) and we will see God's hand and plan of redemption, glimpses of Jesus before he ever got on the scene, glimpses of God's forgiveness and salvation for the souls of mankind long before the final plan was ever revealed. Genesis helps us know who we are and whose we are. You know, Genesis is a painfully honest account written about the life of our ancestors over many generations, generations uh, that were long before us. And Genesis informs us of the origins of many aspects of life, from creation to humanity to sin to sex to work to conflict to family to death to resurrection. Genesis covers it all. And it makes perfect sense while Genesis has, is, and will continue to be under attack. It'll suffer attempts to be discredited. Because if we can eliminate God, and if we can eliminate the creation account, then we can make up our own rules. Because if I don't belong to anybody, then I'm not accountable to anybody. And I get to make up my own rules for life. If I can erode the foundation of creation, then the house of the Christian faith will fall. Well, good luck with that, <laughs> because Genesis has and will remain credible, reliable, and truthful. Although Genesis indeed captures the beginning, our origin, it really is about the one who began it all. Not so much about the origins, but about the originator, the one who made everything happen. Genesis is really about God. He is the central figure. And in Genesis 1.1, we do not see a case to defend. This is interesting. We don't actually see a case to defend the existence of God. It's just simply stated that God exists. In the beginning, God. No long discourse. No big defense made. It was just a clear understanding. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1 conveys the existence of God as an all-eternal being. So the emphasis... Of Genesis 1 is not when creation happened. The emphasis of Genesis 1 is not how creation happened. It's who made it happen. That's the emphasis of Genesis chapter 1. You know, Psalm 90 verses 1 through 2 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place of all generations. And before the mountains were brought forth or Ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Do you guys understand the concept that God has always been there? I don't. I accept it. I believe it. Do I get it? No. It's that question, well, where, where did God come from? Uh, he just always was there. And we go, ooh, that just, yes, but how, you know? He just always was there. From everlasting to everlasting, God is just eternal. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Aren't you glad for that? His understanding is unsearchable. The Bible talks about who's ever given God a counseling session? Nobody. Who's ever had anything to offer God that he needed nobody you know there's even a theory out there that god created man because he he needed people to you know feel his loneliness god God's never been lonely you know that launches into a whole other understanding of the triune god the father son holy spirit he's existed in communities since forever he didn't create us because he was lonely he created us to show off his glory Revelation 4.11 says, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We're dealing with the most powerful, eternal, loving being we could possibly fathom. You know, the creation account really is a sermon preached by God to us, if you think about it that way. It's about his attributes and his nature. It's almost like God was saying in Genesis 1-1 this, I existed before anything was made. I'm not dependent on creation. Creation is dependent on me. I am the author of life. I made everything from nothing. I haven't been sitting around for eternity waiting for you to show up. I've been at work, and you have no idea the extent of my creativity or my handiwork. You ever thought about that? We're so self-centered. We think, okay, what was God doing before we showed up? Because clearly it's all about us. I'm sure he had lots of things he was doing before he ever created us. And we have no idea what he was doing and no idea the extent of his creativity and his power. In this sermon that God was preaching to us from creation, he says, I made all of creation to display my power and glory. He says, I am sovereign. I can do anything. All things are in my hands. We sing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. We need to kind of make that bigger. He's got everything in his hands. He's got the, all the universe. He's got all creation in his hands. We've got to think outside the world. God says, I am good, and everything I make is good. So if we were to understand the creation account as a sport, God would be the league commissioners. He'd be the team owner, the manager, the coach, and the star player. If we were to understand the creation account as a movie, God would be the screenwriter, the movie maker, the director, the cameraman, and the star of the show. And when you roll the credits, you only get one name. That's the creation account. That's Genesis 1. It's not about when, it's not about how, it's about who. If we understand the creation account accurately, it's about the creator, not the creation. And that's so important because for generations, people have been arguing over the creation account and treating the creator like a sub-theme. We've got got that backwards. We need to get the other way around. All the creation theories are really sub-themes. All the creation theories need to be sub-themes, perhaps even footnotes. (laughs) In the big narrative of creation. And we need to learn, when it, when it comes time to look at the creation account, you look at all the theories, look at all the, the, the things that have been put forth about how we were made and how long it took, and all those kinds of things. We need to understand all that needs to be yielded and submitted to our understanding about God because it's about the creator. We need to learn how to major on the major and minor on the minors. The major, God made it. The minors, how, when, how long, The process. But a major on the major, minor on the minors. You know, it's not really about God making the earth in six 24-literal days. It's not really about God making earth in six literal 24-hour days or maybe six longer periods of time. It's about God creating. It's not really about whether there was a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It's not really about that. It's about the creator. It's not really about the process God may or may not have used to make all things. It's just about the creator and the fact that he made it. Getting lost in all those theories and arguments can diminish our sense of awe and diminish our sense of value once we start to fence and spar over these theories. Now, we do need to draw one hard and fast line. When we think about what we hear in school growing up, we think about what we hear when we have conversations now, whether it's across from the coffee table or in the universities, one hard line we need to draw is that any theory or view excluding God as an all-powerful creator that was personal and involved in his creation needs to be rejected. We've got to draw those boundaries because there are boundaries. But let's not try to argue too much within the boundaries. <laughs> I encourage you guys, ha- have a knowledge, have a knowledge of what the world says. All the theories that the world says, you know, evolution or maybe, you know, we're offspring from an alien, like, like have an understanding of what the world says. Because a lot of times Christians make the mistake that when they get into the conversation about creation or our origins and how we got here, some Christians, the best they have to offer is well, you just have to have faith. Yes, but you know what? That doesn't take the conversation very far. And if you don't have any knowledge of what's out there, then we can come across as ignorant people that don't know more than just a couple verses that we've studied all our life. So it's it's good to be informed. It's good to have knowledge. It's good to be aware. I encourage you to be informed of the various creation theories. Now look at the the, the um, 24-literal-hour day theory. Look look, look at the gap theory. Look at at, uh, theistic evolution. Look at all the theories out there. And, And I encourage you to even pick one. Pick one that, that sounds best to you. Pick one that, you know, when you study Scripture and, w- and when you look at what's out there and the evidences, it's, it's okay to pick one, you even choose it, but we can't be dogmatic about it. We can't mistreat others about it. That, I, think, I think that's what's so sad. And I think that's what the world um, looks at. They see these believers in Christ arguing over the theories going, you guys can't even have a conversation without mistreating one another. And we close doors of conversation. So yeah, pick a theory, but don't mistreat others with differing views. I think God's theme verse to address these issues would be something that he told a man named Job. Most of you probably know about Job. Job was a man who lost everything. And he was having quite the pity party. Understandable. And he was questioning God in a moment. And I love what God said. And if if you just want to kind of expand the tone of this one verse, you you can camp out in Job 38, 39, and 40. But in Job 38, 4, God said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. To that, Job basically said, I think I'll be quiet now. We've got all these theories, and we have all these, you know, and it's like every time the scientists and philosophers and educators, you know, we put these big theories out there, I think God at some point goes, where were you? Where were you? You weren't there. And you can't reproduce what I did. So if you can't reproduce what I did, and you didn't personally witness it, then everything you have to say right now is complete speculation at some level. And so we got people arguing and wounding each other over speculation. Does that make sense to you? We need to make it about who? Not how, not when, not how long. Pick a theory, know a theory. Let's have friendly conversations about the theory. Let's say, hey, you no, know, I, think, I think the earth's younger. I think maybe we're around 10,000 years and it's a younger earth. Oh, really? I think the, old, the earth is older. I think we, we actually could have been here, you know, millions of years or maybe hundreds of thousands of years. Have the conversations. But don't die on those hills. The hill we die on is that God did it. That God made it. We gotta understand that. We weren't there. You know, think about it this way. Have you ever had one of those days when you're sitting in your home? And maybe you've got a big window, and all the, the, the sun is coming in and it's flooding a room, and you start to notice the little particles of dust floating around one of my thoughts in that moment is like i'm breathing that in right now i didn't know that earth is like one of those dust particles in a giant sunbeam of creation and we live on it and 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 even the fact that we are the zenith the pinnacle the crown jewel the most beloved aspect of all of creation like like, wrap your mind around that. That's, that's how much God loves you and cares for you. He made us, but let's not lose our place. We're just sitting on one little dust particle floating around in a sunbeam. And we have no idea how vast God has made everything. And we get so high and mighty and prideful about our opinions. Just think about the next time you're looking at dust particles in a sunbeam and feel the glory of God's love shining down on you, but also remember our place. Because God knows you. He made you. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Because if God made you, then guess what? You're His. He's got all rights to you. Because God made you, He's got rights to your mind, He's got rights to your heart, He's got rights to your body. He's got rights to to everything he gives you. Every dollar, dime, day, breath, God has the rights to all of it. Because we're his. God made us. He knows us. He loves us. We're his. But that's not what science says. No, that's not what reason says, really. Are you going to take the word of that which was created over that which created Because when you open up God's word and you start to read through it, you're going, I love you. I made you. I know you. I've got a plan for your life. One day you're coming home if you have a relationship with me. You're going to take the word of the creation of the word of the creator? We can't do that. But don't get me wrong. (laughs) Go ahead. Study God's handiwork. Look in the microscopes. Look in the telescopes. Telescopes. Go into the laboratories. Play around in God's chemical lab. Play around in God's aquarium. Study in God's sandbox. Check it all out. I love what Psalm 111, 2 says. It says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That right there is a green light to say, enjoy science. Enjoy it. Study away. Because greater my works, check them out. God's saying, go for it. See, every time we look on a microscope, every time we look in a telescope, we see design, we see complexity, we see systems, we see structures. Think about the human eye. People still can't explain that thing. And that's just the eye. Think about the flagellum on a cell. Every time they look at that, it's like, it's got gears, it's got structures, it's got designs. They're still trying to, some scientists are still scratching their head. Look look at emotions. We can't put that under a microscope, but we can feel them. Oh, we know what anger feels like. We know what love feels like. We know what sadness feels like. How do you explain those things? How do those evolve? How do those just come out of nowhere? How come we're unique in how we experience those above all other creation? And yet the Bible says we're made in the image of God. Study, learn, observe. Look at the position of the earth. A little bit closer to the sun, we'd be toast. A little bit further away, we'd be frozen. Look at the speed we're spinning. Look at the makeup of our atmosphere. It had to be just right. Look at the cosmos. Look at the stars. Look at the galaxies upon galaxies. Every time we look in the microscope or telescope, we see design, we see order, we see structure, we see systems. You know what it says? Designer, originator, creator. And we're His. He made us. We belong to him. We're his. So, when we talk about science, we talk about reason, all that stuff, we don't want to become anti scientific religionists. We also don't want to be anti religious scientists because there's error on both sides of those. Believing the Bible doesn't mean rejecting science. Many men and women of the faith are scientists, are philosophers, are educators. Using science and reason to, to improve our society, improve our world, improve our culture. It's a gift from God. Science and faith are not opposed. They actually go quite well together. Many of history's well-known philosophers and scientists were Bible-believing Christians. And they helped educate and advance our societies. No, they're not opposed. Science is not a threat to Scripture. Reason isn't opposed to faith. Science and reason and faith aren't opposing constructs. It's the heart of the one using reason. It's the heart of the one using the science or the professing one of faith. That's the bigger issue. Because reason and science will lead us down a path of faith, and what will be the object of the faith is the bigger issue. Will there be faith on the other side of our science and reasoning explorations? You know, Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's only gonna be discovered through faith. You know, I love the testimony of a man named Lee Strobel. A lot of you are familiar with Lee Strobel. He was a legalistic journalist, an atheist, that, that really just took uh, an honest, intelligent extremely thorough look at the Christian faith. And uh, here's what he says about where he came from as a legalistic journalist and a strong atheist. He said, essentially, I realized that to stay an atheist, I would have to believe that nothing produces everything. Non-life produces life. Randomness produces fine-tuning. Chaos produces information. Unconsciousness produces consciousness. And non-reason produces reason. Those leaps of faith were simply too big for me to take, especially in light of the affirmative case for God's existence. In other words, in my assessment, the Christian worldview accounted for the totality of the evidence much better than my atheistic worldview." So not only a telescope, not only a microscope, but when we start to probe our heart, and we start to search the deepest places of our hearts and minds and start to wonder who we are and why we're here, an honest search, an honest search of those things will eventually lead you to the one it all began with. It'll lead you to the creator. It'll lead you to the one who made you because you're His. It's like we're all walking around with like that little thing at the bottom. the the same in China it says made by God. You know? Check the bottom of your shoe. You might say that right there. Made by God. We're his. He made us. Yeah, we have faith in those powerful words. In the beginning God created. If you have faith in that it'll transform your life. And it'll lead you into a relationship with the author of life. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I've talked about this before. It's just those moments. And maybe you've had one recently. R- 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 you're staring at the sunrise or the sunset. I had one a few months ago. Man. I, just, I was watching this brilliant sunrise. Uh, And as as the sun flooded the sky, just the overwhelming sensation that God knows me and made me and loves me flooded me. And when you look at the starry nights on a clear night and you look at the moon, you look at the constellations, you look at the seasons, you look at the little critters that are coming out right now and flying everywhere and bouncing everywhere and eating your flowers already and all that kind of stuff. Look at all the critters that God made. It's like you look at all that God has made. And we drift here. What is man that you're mindful of him? You ever had those moments like, God, why do you love me? Why did you make me? How is it possible that you can constantly love me when I'm constantly walking away from you? It's because we're his. He can't not love you. He might not be happy with your decisions in the moment. He might let you run away and experience the fruit of disobedience and the pain of rebellion, but his love will never cease. I've been talking to some recent parents lately, people that have been holding new babies. But every time we have those conversations, we all have the mutual understanding. If you're a parent in this room, if you're a grandparent in this room, you understand that when you hold that little baby, there is nothing that that baby will ever be able to do to make you stop loving them. You know that baby's going to grow up. You know they're going you know to defy you. You know you are going to break the rules. You know they're going to say mean things to you. But you know what? Despite all that stuff, you never stop loving them. It's not possible. Even when you're mad at them, even if they hurt you, beyond anything you could ever imagine, your love never stops. Where did we learn that? Where did we get that? From the one who made us. And that's a little piece of Him that He's put in you. I love how Psalm 100, verse 3 says, It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and say those words with me, we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You know what's so interesting? when I think about those powerful words we talked about in the beginning, those powerful words in the beginning God created also can be translated the other three powerful words, I love you. When you embrace the fact that in the beginning God created, you're also gonna sense, feel, and hear God speaking to you, I love you. You get a double dose, that's wonderful. But you have to have that faith, you have to have that belief, you have to go there. Genesis 1.1 communicates to us that we are not here by some random chance process, nor are we designed to live a meaningless and hopeless life. Genesis 1.1 is a message of worth, of purpose, and of hope. We can safely assume that's why the first book of the Bible is a book of beginnings. God wants us to know from where we came, because learning that will teach us much about the place we're going to go. Knowing where you came from says much about where you're going. Today, some of you know Christ. You have a relationship with the Father. You have a relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have this relationship with God, and today is just a reminder for you that He made you, and He knows you, and He loves you. You just continue to rejoice in that, continue to celebrate that. Some of you here have wandered from the Lord. You've wandered. And some of the other answers to life's big questions have become appealing. And maybe God's got you here today to say, come back. Don't buy the lie. I made you. I know you. I love you. Come home. There might be some people here that you're asking the big questions. Today, God has met you in the place of your need. (laughs) You've been asking those big questions. Who am I? What's my life about? And you don't have a relationship with God. And today he put you here so you could hear that he made you and he knows you and he loves you and invites you into relationship. You know, as we go through Genesis, as we saw today already, it's going to be a reminder of our roots, our roots, where we came from. We are a special creation of God. All-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. You have a beginning. You have a purpose. You have a creator. You're not random Your life is not meaningless. Today's a reminder of a relationship, the relationship of all relationships that God offers you. Some of you are struggling right now with the whole God thing because he's not your primary relationship. You're putting God down the pecking order of relationships. That boy, that girl, that man, that woman, that child, that friend is more important to you than the one who made you. And God's got you here today. Say, make sure you've got that order right. I got to be number one. The ultimate relationship. You want to f- have that sense of purpose of who you are? You got to know whose you are. You're mine. I want this relationship with you. As we go through Genesis, we'll be constantly reminded of God's plan of redemption, forgiveness of sin. You know, God made everything perfect. We're going to hear more about that in the next couple weeks. How God made everything good. And he gave us a chance to be obedient, we chose to be disobedient as a race, as a species. But he already knew that. He already provided a redemption scenario by coming down in person through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you've never entered into a relationship with God, he's trying to say the, the way to have that relationship is not just believe that I'm there, but believe how I have chosen to be revealed to you. And he's chosen to reveal himself to his son, Jesus who came and died and rose for the forgiveness of our sins, all our wrongdoings, all our evils. That's the way to have that relationship with the creator. Maybe today you need to embrace that relationship. Well, Genesis 1-1 is the starting place. Know your creator. You're his. Enjoy what he's made for you. Understand his love for you. Know your worth as a special creation. Fulfill your purpose in living for him. I encourage you guys, as you leave here today, tell yourself, he made me. He knows me. He loves me. He has a plan for my life. When when, when the difficult times come, remind yourself, he made me. He knows me. He loves me. He's got a plan for my life. When things are going good, you gotta tell yourself, he made me. He knows me. He loves me. He's got a plan for my life because I'm his. And so really the take home, you guys should know it by now because we've said it many times, before you know who you are, you need to know whose you are. And it's my hope that all of you here have a relationship with God. And if you don't, you're in the right place today because you can enter into that relationship with God before you even leave here, before you head out. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to share with you a few response ways that you can connect with us and just whatever God told you today. You have that response card. We love it when all of you fill that out and just share with us what God put on your heart. Maybe today God reminded you of who you are and whose you are. Maybe today you want to enter into that relationship with Christ. You're going to make that decision today. Man, share that with us so we can follow up with you and say, here's your steps to grow whatever God's speaking with you, you can use your response card. I want to encourage you also, we have a prayer cove over in that corner. After this service, there'll be a few people back there just available to pray for you, follow up on a decision with you. You can connect with them and pray with them before you leave today. Also, a reminder that every week we put the study guide to the message online. You can go to the CVC website, to the watch and listen link, And there you'll find a study guide. This one will be very interesting because it's Genesis 1.1. We'll dig a little deeper into into the um, verse, a little bit deeper into the concepts. There's a list of resources there. There's a list of theories there. And so I encourage you to go to the website and check that out. And whether that's for your own personal devotional, meeting with a friend, life group, however you choose to use that, it's a resource to help take this monologue and help make it a dialogue in your life. I just want to encourage you to uh, other tools we have. One is we're active on Twitter. And so people go, well, what's the point of using Twitter? Anything that's said today that just hits you and you take that, you type it, you put it out there, you share it with others. There's been so many times when something that I have tweeted, someone else says, man, I needed that today. Thank you for sharing that. There's been times when I've gotten on Twitter and God just hit me right between the eyes because a brother or sister in Christ put something that was just a gift from the Lord. So you can act, actively use Twitter and share it with people what you're using. Uh, we also invite you to text questions in. There's a a texting number that was on there. You can text in questions or email questions to us, especially during this series. I'm sure we'll get some. We can't have all the face-to-face conversations, but we're going to take many of those questions, and we're going to put them on our blog on the website. And so if you go to CVC, you can go to the CVC blog. Myself and others on our staff will be answering some of those questions. And so we'll probably have more blog activity uh, over the next weeks to come. So I encourage you to be checking that out. You might get some of the answers to your questions there as well. And so use these tools and embrace these opportunities to interact with, uh, for those who just love you and care for you and want you to know the information that we're sharing. Would you just pray with me as we close? Lord, Heavenly Father, we look at those three words, Bereshith Bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And Lord, we believe and we're so grateful. And God I know for many people here today today was just the reminder they needed that you made them and you know them and you love them, and that they are yours, and you've got a plan for their life, Lord God. Would you encourage them with that? God, I know that there's some here that probably have just been walking in rebellion to you. They're, they're just doing their church thing, and God, you just hit them today, with the reminder to come home, have a reunion, be reconciled, be restored back to God the Father, that they have a creator who loves them and has a plan for them? Lord God, would they just repent of all the things they've been doing wrong and just come home to you, Lord God? Maybe connect with one of us to get some backup encouragement or for anyone here this morning God, that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, would they just have the guts to engage you and engage us and just to say, God, I believe you created everything. God, I believe you made everything. God, I'm hearing about how you came to connect with me through Jesus and this death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and I believe that today. And I want to grow in that belief. So God, do a work on the lives of people here. God, thank you for the stories that we've been hearing in the last weeks of people who have come to that realization here at CBC. People who have been experiencing a new life in Christ, Lord God, because of the news, the good news of your word. And God, I just thank you for the faithful investors here. And God, we pray that we can continue to give our gifts so that more people can know about the one they belong to. So, God, we give these gifts to you out of gratitude, out of trust, out of dependence, and as an investment for others to know. So, God, we love you, we worship you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together, amen.